It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W podcast. It's season two. It's episode number 42. The Cubs are 10 games under. (laughs) Don't forget to listen, download, review. Most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook or email us at fly the W670 at gmail.com. Crowley, I don't even have to ask how you are, but as I see you on the other side of the world in the uh, room here that we are podcasting in, I see that you have your uh, Cubs uh, Grateful Dead hat on. So hopefully uh, you will get by, my friend. I think we will all get by. I will be going to Dead and Company down at Wrigley Field. So if you're in the area, please, uh, you know, I'll be around and then you'll see me. But uh, man, nothing worse than a West Coast swing that's this bad. Like not only do you have to sit there and you're stuck watching bad baseball, but then you get no sleep. So this you're is doing just it bad. all night long. Right. Just <laughs> ugh, absolutely maddening. No, no day games. Do they not believe in day baseball on the West Coast? I don't know. They're heathens. That's they don't understand what God intended with baseball day baseball, but no, apparently they don't. No, no, no. All right, Crowley, let's, uh, let's go through this. Cause this is what we do. Let's, uh, let's talk about what happened with the Cubs and the, uh, and the angels. I don't think either one of us predicted that the Cubs would get swept, but you did say that you were not uh, liking how the uh, pitching matchups lined up, but I don't think this was really the pitching. I think this is all about the hitting. Yeah, you know, I saw. I thought the Cubs would take one game out of the three, but they didn't end up taking any of them. And yeah, you know, it, this was really more of an offense problem. And so, you know, the Cubs lost game one. Hayden Wesniski on the mound versus Tyler Anderson. They lose seven to four. This was a tale of two games, the first half of the game and the second half of the game. I thought in the first half, the Cubs looked good. Hayden Wesniski made his first start since being optioned to uh, AAA. I thought he did a great job mixing his pitches, using the fastball sweeper and sinker to keep the angels off balance through the first four innings. He just gave up a walk to Mike Trout and a home run to Otani in the fourth. I mean that, you know, you're going to give up home runs to Otani. I don't get mad about that stuff. Um, you know, that he, the, the, the Otani home run was on a cutter and it wasn't even that bad of a pitch. You know, he hit it, at, uh, you know, right over the glove of say Suzuki originally it wasn't even called a home run, but overturned on replay. 
He struck out three in the first four innings. And offensively, the Cubs jumped all over Tyler Anderson in the second inning. Seiya singled and Jan doubled to start off the second. And then with one out, Mike Talkman hit a single to make it two to nothing. Patrick Wisdom Walk and Matt Mervis in the middle of an 0 for 17 slump doubles to make it four nothing. And you're feeling good, right, Dustin? I was feeling excellent. I mean, I was feeling really good. I loved what we saw from Hayden Wisniewski. Loved it, but wasn't meant to be. Nope. Bottom of the fifth, everything falls apart. Brandon Jury doubles. Gio Urshela hit by a pitch, putting two on with no outs. Uh, Hayden got Mickey Mornick to line out, but then Luis Rengifo, who was a pain all week, hit a ball that went off the glove of Matt Mervis. That should have been an out. That loaded the bases with one out. And then Wesniski throws a wild pitch to Taylor Ward. Looks like Gomes could have gotten Drury at home. Ball kind of ricocheted off the back right back to Gomes, but he fumbled it. And so that run made it four to two. He struck out Ward, and the Cubs still had the uh, lead with two outs. But with lefty Shohei Otani coming up to hit, David Ross goes to his lefty out of the pen, Brandon Hughes. What does Hughes do? He walks him to load the bases. So the one guy that Hughes is tasked with really getting out. This is the guy you got to get out. You still got the lead. Doesn't do it. And he walks him to load the bases for Mike Trout. Not really a recipe for success there. Uh, Trout singles. That ties the game. He, and then Brandon Hughes walks Rendon, gives him a single to Matt Dice. That puts the Angels up 6-4, to four and Hughes' day was done. He didn't get one out. He gave up two hits, two walks, no strikeouts, four runs. Two unearned runs would be charged to Wisniewski because of the error on Mervis. Uh, and two earned runs were charged to Hughes. Other than the four runs the Cubs scored in the second, the offense sputtered. They left runners on base. They're not able to score any more runs. They went two for eight with runners in scoring position. They left nine men on base. The biggest missed opportunity came in the seventh inning. The Cubs down 6-4, load the bases with one out. But Jan Gomes hits into a double play to end the inning, and that's how the game will end with the Cubs down 6-4. Wesniski looked good. The bullpen blows it, and the offense can't add on more runs. But you can't have one inning, right? You can't just score in one inning. It's just absolutely maddening. Hughes walks are absolutely maddening. And, and that's the part where you can't blame David Ross for that, right? You nope. can't. That, that's nope. not David Ross's fault. I, I'm not, that, that's when it's the player's fault. The other thing is, I don't know if you heard um, Carter Hawkins on with the afternoon show on 670 The Score this week, but talking about the, the ingredients and the chefs and the and these analogies, and I'm trying to be like, well, who's he talking about? Like, who who's the chef? Is is Carter Hawkins the chef? Is 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 David Ross the chef? Because the ingredients are rotten, right? The ingredients are the players, and right now the ingredients are rotten. Well, so it's a good question that you ask, and I'm not really sure who the chef is. I just know, based on everything I've seen, I liked how this team looked on paper coming into the season. And for whatever reason, it's not clicking. And, and, and this, is, this comes to the trouble and when you talk about who's making the decisions because we don't know who, who, who's, who's the one that sets the lineup. Is that David Ross? Is that Carter Hawkins with Jed? Is that some combination? So that's what makes this era of baseball so difficult is that it used to be the, the, the front office got the players – the manager put them where he thought they belonged and played them how he thought they should be played. And everybody kind of knew what, you know, what was what. 
I don't know. I can't answer those questions now because uh, of just kind of how that all melds together. If you get what I'm saying. You're right. And I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate saying I don't know, but you're right, Crowley. We don't exactly know. The only thing we know for sure, David Ross has gone on record as saying that he has the final say. He has said that he has said that he has the final say when we're talking about the lineup construction. So that he has to follow on the sword a little bit then, but we've also had Jed Hoyer go out of his way and say that he really has not given David Ross an ideal bullpen. He has admitted uh, that he is on record. He is on record to saying that what was one of the biggest concerns we had about the Cubs that has totally played out when they, when you and I were as excited as we could be, but what was the one thing we were worried about? No pop, absolutely no pop. No pop. And say Suzuki's not, uh, do you think say Suzuki's going to hit 20 home runs this year? Nope. And, and the only who's going to do, if one guy is to hit 20 or more home runs, who's it going to be? Um, that's, I would say Patrick wisdom still, but that's if, and how many, but how many strikeouts is it going to take? You know, it's like the old Tootsie roll. How many licks does it take to get the sum? How many strikeouts is it going to take in order for Patrick wisdom to get to 20 home runs? How about your number three hitter, Patrick, uh, or Ian Happ is your number three hitter and he hasn't had a home run in over a month. Right. That's I a mean, problem. That, that's but who are you going to bat third? You know, who, who, who would you rather see bat third? <laughs> I don't, and that's they the don't trouble. have a guy, right? They don't, they don't have a guy, and I know we'll get into it in the, in a later segment in the podcast. But I've got some, I've got some thoughts on at least what to do in the short term. It's not a, it's not a, it's a, it's a little tiny band aid. It's a little tiny band aid. But I have an idea. All right. Well, we get let's to get game. into game number two, Crowley. Game number two. Jamison Tyone versus Jaime Berea. The Cubs lose six to two. Offense continues to sputter away as Jamie Burita made his third start of the season and dominated for the first four innings. Other than a two-out walk by Ian Happ in the first, the Cubs didn't have a single base runner. Down one to nothing, the Cubs got their first hit when Mike Talkman, who's done really well, led off the inning with a single, advanced to second on a wild pitch, and the Cubs tied up on a double by Trey Mancini. Miguel Amaya drove him in with a single, and the Cubs led two to one. But if you've watched all three of these games, they could not hold the lead to save their lives. Angel tied it up back at the bottom of the inning, um, you know, and then the Cubs drew back-to-back walks in the six with one out. Suzuki grounded out, but Mike Talkman walked to load the base with two out. Trey Mancini grounds out to end the threat. The Cubs did not have another base runner the rest of the game. Get this, Dustin. The Cubs are eight for 49 with the bases loaded. Fourth worst in MLB. The offense finished with two runs on three hits, drew four walks, went two for four with runners in scoring position and left four men on base. All three hits happened in the fifth inning. None of their first four hitters, Horner, Swanson, Hap, or Suzuki, got a single hit. I mean, just cue the Theo. The offense is broke. The offense is broke. The offense is broke. Now, we, we, we talked about this being a big start, and I thought Jamison Tyone did well. He kept the Cubs in it, and in the top of the fourth, Mike Trout robbed Ian Happ of a home run in center, reached over the wall, above the wall, actually. And then in the bottom of the inning, Trout leads off with a homer to put the Angels up one nothing. So that's a two-run swing right there. And we talked on the last episode. We said that Trout was in a slump. He was on the cold list, but nothing ends slumps like Cubs pitching. Cubs came back in the fifth to take a two-to-one lead, but in the bottom of the inning, Luis Rengifo hit, led the inning off with a solo home run to tie it up. Now comes the portion of the show where we question David Ross. 
David Ross decides to keep Jamison Tyone into the game in the sixth inning after he'd thrown 92 pitches. He gets Anthony Rendon to ground out, but then walks Matt Hayes and gives up a single to Brandon Jury. That would be it for Tyone, who finished with 104 pitches. What were you thinking there, Dustin? Did, were you shocked that he came out in the six with that number of pitches? I was. I was a little bit. You? Yeah, you know, we, we've looked at his game logs and he, you know, just had a, you know, he struggled this season. He hasn't pitched a lot deep into games. And previous to that is the most pitches he threw was 85. So, I mean, if you're having him go that inning, you know, he's going to probably at least get to 100 pitches. So, that's a mess. And then what I dislike afterwards is that he gets Mark Leiter. And I know that Mark Leiter is one of the best arms that they have out of there. That's a separate problem. But Mark Leiter throws a lot of, you know, he throws, you know, the splitter and the sinker. He throws a lot of stuff in the dirt. And I don't think that's really great when you have runners on base. I think that's really good when you have a clean inning. When you got runners on base, now you have to be careful that you don't, you know, throw one away. And I, and he left a couple pitches up and that's going to be it. He comes in, he gets the first battery faced out, but with two outs, he gave up a single to Luis Renfrigo, giving the angels a three to two lead. He walks Zach Nito to load the bases. And then Mickey Moniak doubled to clear the bases to put the angels up six to two. So this is the tail of the tape right here. The Cubs load the bases in the top of the six with two outs. They get zero runs. Angels in the bottom of that same inning, load the bases with two outs. They get three runs. That's it. So, Tyone finishes the game 5.1 innings, four runs, two, which came when Leiter inherited the runners, four walks, five Ks. He gave up two solo home runs. Leiter went up two thirds of an inning. He gave up two hits, two runs, one walk and two K, but Rucker mopped it up. So I didn't like the fact that uh, he, he started Tyone in the six and I don't like with two runners on to have uh, Leiter come in. I just, I, I don't think it's the greatest thing. Right. And that's not been his role, right? That, 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 that has not been lighter's role in that, that situation. And it's a great point by you. It, it, it runners on scoring. It shouldn't be that way. Crowley. I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? I mean, here, here, here's the ball. You're, you're a relief pitcher. Here's the ball, get people out. But obviously there's something to this. Obviously these guys are, are, are soft in the brain or something that, oh my goodness gracious, there's runners on base. What do I do? I'm confused. I don't know what the, come on, take the ball, get people out. That's what you're right. paid to do. I don't care right. if it's the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, or the ninth. I don't want to hear about clean innings, but there is something to it. So I just disagree with it. Right. For me, when you talk about the previous game, and you talk about Brandon Hughes, that's a lefty. His role is to get lefties out. It doesn't matter what lefty it is. You know, that's his job. You know, some of these guys have, you know, it's less now than it used to be when they made you face three batters. But when you are Brandon Hughes, your job is to get lefties out. And if you don't do that, that's then there's no purpose of having you on the, on the roster um, with, with lighter. Like I said, you have to sit there and a lot of his stuff you take a look at whether it's um, Buck Tucker Barnhart or you're looking at Jan Gomes, they have to block a lot of balls. That's the thing about lighter is his ball just sinks right at the last second. And so that's where, like I said, it, it, it's, it, it's, that's why I prefer a clean inning because, okay, if you got nobody on and the ball skips away, it doesn't hurt you, but you got a runners at first and second and, and a ball skips away. Those runners advance. That's my concern. No, and I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. All right, so now the Cubs are down uh, 0-2. Uh, 
and we had game number three late last night. Uh, the wrap around the wrap up game. Uh, Drew Smiley was pitching for our Cubs. Yep, versus Reed Detmers. Who exactly? But the Cubs lose anyway, three to one. They just needed one to avoid getting swept, but it didn't happen. Smiley did what he always does. He kept the Cubs in it. They had a chance to win. He went six innings, gave up three, seven hits, three runs, only two of them earned, three walks and four Ks. So if your starter gives you, you know, that many innings, six innings, and he gives up only two, uh, you know, two earned runs, that you're right in it, man. And and the Cubs jumped out to a one nothing lead in the top of the second. But like I said, they couldn't hold the lead. The very first batter after the inning, uh, Smiley gave up a monster home run to Joe Adele that still hasn't landed yet to tie the game. 451 feet. Luis Renfigo and Chad Wallach singled to put runners at the corners, and Tyler Ward hit a sack fly, and the Angels are up 2-1. Another run would score in the bottom of the six with two outs. Zach uh, Nato would single, and Tyler Ward walk. They attempt a double steal, and Jan Gomes throws it away, allowing Nato to score, and the Cubs were down 3-1. to one. The bullpen didn't give up any runs to keep it close, but it didn't matter because there's no offense, Dustin. There is no offense, like you said, broken. They get on the board early. Miguel Amaya with the two-out single. He advances on a wild pitch and scores on a Trey Mancini double, but that was it for the Cubs' offense. They had a chance in the six. Happ and Suzuki hit one-out singles to put runners at first and second, but then Gomes lines out, Amaya grounds out to end the threat. They finished with five hits, seven total bases. They left five on base, one for seven with runners in scoring position. This team, Dustin, right now is in quicksand. They, the more they struggle, the worse they look. They they absolutely, whether it's the bullpen, especially the bullpen and, and, and the hitters, I think that the pitching hasn't been horrible, but but the hitters are just absolutely are choking. They can't do anything clutch. The bullpen cannot close it down. They can't do anything. It's it's just an absolute mess right now. And the, the reason, you know, when we called this episode 10 games under, that's a, that's a blinking red light. When you are 10 games under, that is very hard to dig yourself out of. And Crowley, the Cubs have scored in only three of their last 42 innings. Right. I mean, three <laughs> times in 42, in, in, and there's still nine inning games. 42 right. innings. They've lost 26 of the last 38 games. Yeah, you look at it. And, you want to and talk about a blinking red light, 26 out of 38. Right. Let's let's talk about that because the Cubs have played 61 games, 62 last night. I didn't wasn't able to get the stats updated. But if you look at the first 31 games, the Cubs were 15 and 16 compared to the last 30 where they're 11 and 19. I'm going to put some numbers up here for the people that are watching on um, 670, the score. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. But if you take a look in the first 31 games, the Cubs averaged 270. They slugged 436. They averaged five runs a game. They walked 108 times. They struck out 257. In the last 30 games, they have a 221 average. They're on bases 312. They slugged 358. They're only averaging 3.6 runs a game. They're drawing more walks, uh, but they are striking out more as well. Look at that number. Look at that. 312 compared to 257. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when you take a look at the, at, at the pitching, the ERA is over a full run higher. Okay, they're, they're pitching ten innings less. They've given up. They gave up 108 runs in the first 31 games, up compared to 142 now. They're walking more. They're striking out less batters. It, it, it is 
it is a disaster right now. And then the numbers, the more you dig into them, the worst it looks. They're just stranding runners everywhere. In the first half, the Cubs are hitting 278 with 28 walks and 106 RBIs with runners in scoring positions. Okay. And then when you kind of take a look later now, it's down to 230 with 31 walks and 71 RBIs. Everything is just trending worse. Relievers, their ERA is over a full run higher compared to the first 31 games. There, there's, there are massive problems here. And I, 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 you know, I remember, you know, we were like, Hey, you know what we need to do? We need to call up Morel. You know what we need to do? We need to call up Matt Mervis. You know what we need? We need Kyle Hendricks back all these things. And then they come to fruition and it's not getting better. It just keeps getting worse. I have an idea Crowley of what they need to do. And we'll get into that in just a minute. You're listening to season two. It's episode number 42. The Cubs are 10 games under. And as Crowley said, blinking light, blinking light, blinking light. In this segment, Crowley interviews Brigham Avery, host of the Hollywood and Ivy show on the marquee sports network. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I have the host of Hollywood and Ivy, Brigham Avery, who is live at the Hotel Zachary with the federal landmark right behind him. How are you doing, Briggs? Brother, it's so great to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on the show live from the Sloan Suite behind beautiful, picturesque Wrigley Field. And great to be with you, Fly the W, my man. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, you know me, man. I, I love every, I'm like a marquee junkie. It's on my house 24 seven. And this is one of my guilty pleasures. You get to host an amazing show. It comes out every month. You have a new episode drop and here it is right here. It's called Hollywood and Ivy. So if you haven't had a chance to watch, it is, like I said, one of my guilty pleasures, love watching it. How did you get into being a Cubs fan? Well, I wouldn't feel guilty about that at all. I'm just glad you enjoy the show. Uh, I got into being a Cubs fan because I was born here in Chicago, grew up in Oak Park, and I attended Dominican University. Got a little college, little John Belushi college homage going on right now. And I have a, uh, a Cubs fan because I'm from Chicago and growing up loving the Cubs, watching the images and just falling in love with everything Cubby. That's what I'm about. And so you said you went to Dominican University and you studied uh, broadcasting. Is that right? I studied corporate communications, which uh, is a little bit, I, I kind of did broadcasting. I made my own path when I lived in Southern California. So I kind of found my own opportunities. I worked for the Walt Disney Company. I worked for a company called Anaheim Sports Incorporated, which owned the Angels and the Ducks and um, have done some work for KLAA out there in LA and all kinds of stuff in that world. So I kind of made my own path to broadcasting in Southern California, but have always had roots in Chicago and Roots of my heart, love of the Cubs. So. And, and, and so that the love of the Cubs and your trip out to California gets you in touch with a famous Chicago native, Joe Montaigne. Tell me how that, that all came about. Well, so, so uh, my mother went to high school with Joe's wife and him in uh, Berwyn at Morton East. And so my actual great aunt is Joe's brother's godmother. So we have a deep family connection, known each other for a long, long time. And we actually had another show, a podcast, living out in Los Angeles. Joe had a restaurant in Burbank called Taste Chicago. Not Taste of Chicago, Taste Chicago. And I had a podcast that we recorded live at Joe's place on August 28th, 2016, right when the Cubs were in the midst of the playoff run. So he came on his Fat Tony and 
made a decreed edict, if you will, and said if the Cubs didn't win this year, there'd be a no cement shoe shortage for the umpire. So we kind of give ourselves street cred credit for that. And, uh, and that, and that moment, my man, I kind of realized that I could in fact have this show and share the chemistry of Cub fans, share the passion, the pain, the joy, the suffering that was being a Cub fan. And so I kind of realized that when I spoke to Joe that day and, and I knew that I could recreate that with anybody, with Gary Sinise, with Gary Cole, with Bob Odenkirk, recently with Bob, uh, with uh, Billy Corgan. So, you know, it's just, we all share the passion of being from Chicago, being Cubs fans, loving the Cubs. And, uh, and it's a great, great thing to share and very powerful as far as connecting. And so you get this idea, it pops in your head, hey, I, there are a lot of celebrity Cub fans and, and hey, we can kind of talk to them about their experiences. Tell me about that first episode. Who was the first guest you ever had on Hollywood Marquee? It, it was Joe Montaigne and the Marquee Sports Network partnered up with us. And it's been an amazing partnership with them. Love all the people over there. It's a great bunch of people. And in reality, when I had Joe on, we went 45 minutes. It was an hour long show because I know him so well. And the chemistry shared of knowing each other's friends and being Cub fans kind of came true in that episode. And all episodes now are half an hour, and it's kind of a nice package to fit all the memories of being a kid and going to Wrigley Field as a celebrity and bookended with going and throwing out the first pitch as a celebrity, you know, um, person. You know what I mean? So that, that's kind of the anthology that we capture, that timeline of going there as a kid and then coming back as a celebrity and throwing out the first pitch. Uh, yeah. When I talk, when I think about Joe Montaigne, it's funny because he has such a rich history with the Cubs, um, getting involved with the Bleacher Bums, which was a famous play that was uh, in Chicago. Uh, he was there for Kerry Woods' 20K game. And, and the one thing I try to tell people is that, you know, back in the day, you and I both grew up in the early 80s. There was no night games at Wrigley Field. So for the artistic community, for people like musicians and actors who do a lot of their work at night in the evening – well, that was always a great getaway is you go to the Cubs game during the day and then at night, you, you know, you do your gig, whether it's a stand-up gig, whether it's Second City, whether it's Steppenwolf Theater. And you think about all these guys that have kind of passed through Chicago and that love of, of, the, of everything Cubs is with them. And, and that's the one thing I've noticed on your show is that whether, like you said, whether you're talking about Bob Odenkirk, whether you're talking about Gary Sinise, Gary Cole, all these guys, they, they have such an attachment to the Cubs that even though they may be out in Hollywood all the time, their heart's still at Wrigley Field. What happens is, and Bob Odenkirk really broke it down, he said that as you grow up in Chicago and the Cubs playing day baseball, you know, for our generation, as a kid growing up, you go to the pool during the day in the morning and probably have lunch, and then you get back home about 1.32 o'clock, and the game's already started, and you sit in front of the TV and you let the chlorine soak off you, and you've got a towel wrapped around you, maybe still in your bathing suit, but you sit there in a nice cool room, cooling off, and you take in the image of Wrigley Field, the sounds of Harry Perry and Steve Stone's voice, the beautiful pictures around the green ivy, the blue sky, everything, and it just it gets in you. And doing that day after day throughout the summer, sitting down, relaxing, kind of just taking it all in, that just that builds this lovely loyalty. It's the, the picturesque beauty that inspires and makes you really... Uh, a passionate, loyal fan. That The loyalty is the beauty of the Cubs in Wrigley Field. And everyone had that growing up before the lights. And something else interesting about Joe Montaigne is he actually penned an article describing what a Cub fan would feel like on 8888 while he was in New York doing a play with Madonna called Plow the Line. He was asked by the New York Times 
on his day off to write an article about how a lifelong dedicated devout Cub fan would feel, in essence, about the first the night game at Wrigley Field and, and, and gaining lights and, and losing day baseball. So it's a beautiful article. He wrote that as well. So yes, absolutely, sir. Very many connections and synergy with Joe Montana and the Cubs. And I will tell you as, as well, you know, the one thing I enjoy about watching this show is you just seem to have like a photographic memory. And I, and I was, I was watching this when you, when you had uh, Jim Belushi on the great Jim Belushi. He's been on tons of TV and movies and you, and, and Jim's always been a big Chicago fan and he's always kind of incorporated that in whatever projects he's doing. But you know, when you guys were talking about like the movie about last night, I just thought that was just great stuff. And wasn't it awesome when he talked about, uh, when he was having an argument with the director of a bat last night, because he said, I'm telling Rob Lowe, listen, go along with me, Rob. I know where the laughs land. You know, isn't that profound just to hear him say that and really a lot of unique perspective and just really where that comes from uh, Crawley is the fact that I grew up watching canine and taking care of business and red heat and all those movies. That was kind of my heyday, you know? So um, it's um, yeah, it, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And um, as I'm up here, you know, in this beautiful suite, I just the timing couldn't be any better because I've got the Marquee Sports Network on in the background, and and uh, look what just happened to uh, to come on right now. I think this is the uh, oh the Billy Corgan episode is on in the background right now. So yay for the Marquee Sports Network, and hello to everybody out there: Mike McCarthy, Allison Bertucci, all the great folks, Alex Wilcox, and um, our advertisers too. The Salsa King of Chicago's got amazing salsa. It's so oh. good. You swore I came from Southern California. But Marty, I love you. And just all the people that have been a part of this. You know, I'm, I'm kind of compelled right now as I see this in the background, this beautiful suite behind Wrigley Field. And, you know, what's that Hall and Oates song? You make my dreams come true. So you know, I, I felt that. So I wanted to share that and, and thank a lot of the fine folks that have believed in me and believed in the show. And, and you too, Crawley. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. And that's the cool thing is that is the latest episode. So if you, you, you know, that's the cool thing about Marquis is if you miss it, you can always come back and catch it. But Billy Corgan was a guy when I was in high school, it was so exciting because, you know, the grunge movement was happening out in Seattle, but there was a music scene here and Smashing Pumpkins coming out with Gish. And then obviously the big one, Siamese Dream, and then later on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. I mean, he was, I remember they, they did, they, you know, he had, you know, cut his teeth through the Metro. And then when, when Siamese dream dropped, they had this huge show at the Aragon. I want to say 1993, I want to say that I was at, and it was just phenomenal, but I've gotten to know Billy over the years. And then from watching your show there, there, there's clearly a passion that Billy Corgan has about being a Cub fan. And it really comes out in the episode. It's a unique passion, absolutely, and very shared and very specific because he, I will tell you about my experience, I really got into the Cubs in the summer of 85, after 84, and that's the summer when all five of the starting pitchers went on the disabled list. That was Dennis Eckersley, Steve Trout, Rick Sutcliffe, Scott Sanderson. They all went on the list, and I remember, as Billy says in the episode, them not being very good, but me loving baseball and loving the Cubs and having them be a new love in my life and me having to attach to things like watching how well Ryan Sandberg and Leon Durham played defense or how fast Bobby Jr. was or just the little things you pick up on as a Cub fan. And, of course, watching all those things happen in the beautiful background at Wrigley Field. So, and, like, and like a lot of Cub fans, Billy had a relative that really got him plugged in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Crawley. Totally. totally. And, and I want to say that – I'm trying to remember. I think it was game six 
Was it no? It was it Game Seven? It it game was, Seven. Well. Game Seven of the 2003 NLCS because Bernie Mac was Game Six yeah. and Billy Corgan Game Seven, and his telling of of you know the Cubs are just absolutely it's slipping out of their hands, and it's right. Billy that's got to sing the stretch in Game Seven. And how about the noise he makes when he says he could feel the momentum, and he says, "Did that whole sound effect? It's hilarious." <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. And so, you know, you, you got, you know, the cool thing is, is that like you have no shortage of Cub fans wanting to get on um, Hollywood and Ivy and you got some guys that are, you know, different guests that are coming up in the future. Who are oh, some yeah. of the guests that you think that Cub fans would be excited to hear from? Well, I, I, we have confirmed in the future, Bill Hader and Vince Vaughn are both confirmed. We're sorting out details to have them on and we can't wait. They're excited to come on the show. So I look forward to having both those guys on. I would like to have John C. Riley on because I'm a huge, huge fan of John C. Riley. I love his comedy. I love his eclectic acting, and I love him in the new Lakers series. And obviously a Chicago guy. Will Ferrell also did something where he managed the Cubs. He also has kind of a close connection to the Cubs. And just him being who he is, love to have him on as well. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of the thing, Crowley, where everybody is embracing and enjoying coming on. Because of my great partner, Joe Montagna, he's so undeniable. And people love to come on. And uh, when he asks, they they can't wait to come and talk Cubs with us. And it's become very beautifully synergistic. So. You know, the, the one thing that I truly enjoy is that, like, okay, Vince Vaughn, I've actually bumped into him on opening days. If you see in his movies, he's wearing the Blackhawks sweater or the Cubs jersey. He's yeah. clearly a Chicago guy. But then all of a sudden you get a guy like Bill Hader and, you know, he, he's, he was on Saturday night live forever. He just, uh, he just wrapped up Barry, which was a phenomenal show. And it's like, wait a sec. He's one of us too. He's a cub fan. So you get to learn about maybe, you know, obviously when you talk about Jim Belushi or Vince Vaughn, clearly cub fans. But when you talk about a guy like Bill Hader, like what a cool experience. And, And it's all amazing. Just people that grew up on the superstation watching across the nation. He is from Oklahoma City. His dad was a huge Cub fan because they watched WGN growing up in Oklahoma. And so now he's become a huge Cub fan because of, of that. And he's uh, attached to the team. And he found, and it's funny, just the synergy. This is a perfect Hollywood and Ivy story because Joe Montaigne was on Barry. He was hilarious on Barry recently on season three. And while they were filming it, him and Bill Hader had conversations to the effect of, oh, wow, you like the Cubs? I got a great Cub show. You got to come on. And Bill Hader can't, can't wait to come on. The interesting thing about Barry is he writes it, he directs it, he shoots it, he edits it. So he's been busy with that process, finishing season four, and and uh, that uh, that that's something that uh, he takes very seriously and can't wait to come on Hollywood and Ivy as, as soon as he's done editing. So I believe that's, that's going to be happening very soon and can't wait to make that a great episode for everybody. Now, I got to tell you, I've run into a lot of players, a lot of celebrities in my life. There's only one guy that's ever gotten me tongue-tied as a celebrity. That's Eddie Vedder. How do you, like, when you when you get to sit there, and like I said, Gary Sinise, how many movies has that guy been in? Or, or George Went from, you know, Cheers fame and all sorts of things. How do you kind of get yourself in the zone and saying, okay, I'm sitting next to this awesome person that I grew up loving, yet I still have a show to kind of get through it. How does that work for you? Well, I'll tell you, I really cut my teeth at Joe Montaigne because I'm a huge Three Amigos fan. I love the Money Pit. I love the Simpsons. And so just getting to know him, being around him, that kind of set the tone. And then getting to know George Went as well because he's kind of a friend of my family as well. My sister was in the reanimator with George Went. That was a 
Broadway musical theater production. So I, I've been on the road in New York with George and his family and we got to know each other. So kind of those two guys I got to know well. And the reality, Crowley, is that Chicago people are just so beautifully darn real. And so when you start talking to them, you loosen up. The energy is there. The passion is there. The understanding is there. The Cub fandom is there. And that really forms the synergy and the chemistry for this show. Now, I got to ask you, if you could have any guests you wanted to uh, come on the show, who would be a celebrity that you think you would like to say, hey, man, I'd love to hear their Cub fan story? Well, I there's a lot of um, people that I grew up watching that I'd like to have on. Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio is from Chicago. She's actually from Oak Park. She was in The Color of Money. She was in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Jamie Gertz, who was in The Lost Boy, also a Chicago native, uh, grew up. She now owns part of the Atlanta Hawks. So I'd like to have more female perspective on the show. That would be great. And, and Bill Murray, I'd love to have him as well, obviously. He's kind of the, uh, the, uh, the grand crown jewel of Cub fans. You know, not like we, we're all grand crown jewels ourselves, but Bill Murray, we've known about him for such a long time and such an icon. And growing up with Ghostbusters and Stripes and Caddyshack, the way we all did Crowley, he's kind of the uh, top of the list, A number one, and I'm confident we'll get him. So, that's, now, uh, you know, that's we were... We were talking about how artists used to love going to day baseball, you know, musicians and theater guys. And the one guy I would love to maybe have you see on one day is Jimmy Buffett. And there's a famous story about Steve Goodman. Steve Goodman wrote the city of New Orleans and go Cubs go. And the thing with Steve Goodman is that he was kind of like when, when different artists used to kind of come through and tour people would stop by at his, his apartment and kind of hang out with them. And there was a theater, the old town theater. And it was where kind of a lot of different artists come and Jimmy Buffett, when he was really, you know, nobody, he stayed with Steve Goodman and they would go to games and this and that. Well, wow. As you and I were talking about like 84, you know, Steve Goodman got really sick, unfortunately, in 1984. And the plan was in the very first playoff game since 1945 to have Steve Goodman do the anthem. And unfortunately, he passed away before. But his close friend, Jimmy Buffett, came in and sang that first anthem game one of the playoffs in 1984. So wow. that and That's Jimmy beautiful. Buffett also doing the first concert at Wrigley. I mean, that would be someone that would just be so oh, fun yeah. to see, man. And and like I said, there's just no shortage of stories because there are so many great Cub fans that are in the arts and you do such a great job of bringing out the stories and, and getting them to kind of, it comes through on the screen as a fan. When I listen to them, I just look at them and, and I, I realize they may be Oscar winners or Grammy winners or Tony award winners, whatever. But you know what, man, we share a connection, that synergy that you talk about being a Cubs fan. And, and that's why I love watching Hollywood and Ivy so much is that I get to learn about, you know, these celebrities that I've gotten to admire over the years and realize that deep down they got a, a, they bleed Cubby Blue just as much as me and you. It's the essence, the reality, Crowley, of being from Chicago, dealing with the weather, the hot, hot summers, the frozen cold winters, watching the Cubs for so long, loving the Cubs, cheering and feeling so great when they were successful in 84 and 89 and 98 and 2003, also having our heart broken, loving our heroes, loving Ryan Sandberg, loving Andre Dawson, loving Mark Grace, loving all like Mark Pryor, Rizzo, Bryant, loving them all. And then really Crowley, the great synergy, the great chemistry is building the bridge and sharing the championship together. You know what I mean? That Cubs fans have suffered for so long and then sharing, drinking from the 
the Holy Grail, essentially, is kind of what we all share. And that experience is really what makes Cub fans being so great, greater now than ever. And what makes this show so successful is sharing that, all the pain, the suffering, and then the reward. I love it. And so you can find Hollywood and Ivy on Marquee Network. It's playing yeah. right now with Billy Corgan and our guy, Briggs Avery. Thank you for coming on. And, make sure- and you can see all the episodes on Brigham Avery Productions YouTube channel. All the episodes are up on my YouTube channel. Hollywood and Ivy's playing on the Marquee Sports Network. We love the Marquee Sports Network. The Salsa King of Chicago, great partner. Empire Carpet, great partner. This is just a great Chicago show. So, and you're a great Chicago show, Crowley. And I love you for being here. Love you for having me. And go Cubs. Briggs, if people if people wanted to follow you on social media, why don't you give out your Twitter handle really quick so that they can follow you and be up to date with everything going on? At Brigham Avery One on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Brig Avery. And really, Brigham Avery Productions is my YouTube channel. I would say send them directly to my YouTube channel, Brigham Avery Productions. Just type that in, subscribe. You can get notified about all the Hollywood and Ivy episodes. The Billy Corgan's been uploaded right now, and we got the big train running. So Love it, my friend. Thank you for jumping on, and I look forward to talking to you again. You're the man, Crowley. Thanks so much for having me. Go Cubs. Appreciate you. And we'll do this again real soon. Have a great afternoon. Farewell from the Sloan Suite. Thank you, Peggy Gilmore from Sloan. Look at this view. My Uh, girl, Peggy. I love her. She's the best. And thank you, Cub fans all around the world for watching. Thanks, Marquis. Thanks to all the people that believe. Love you, Crowley. Love you guys. Be well. Go Cubbies. All right, Crowley. Nice job with that one. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. It's episode 42. It's season two. The Cubs are 10 games under. Let's get into some news some roster moves, and then let's preview the uh, end of this uh, road trip out West when they're going to be taking on the San Francisco Giants. Now, this is uh, something that just, you know, I know a lot of, it's weird. I don't know if it's just a Cub fan thing or what. I've heard Bears fans. I don't know if it's a Chicago thing. But for whatever reason, people think just because a guy used to play for the Cubs, they're going to make a good manager. Joe Girardi did not accept a position as head baseball coach at the University of Florida. Don't know. Now, what just Joe's just for this, it was University of Central Florida. That Central might be a Florida, little bit of a difference. Maybe a difference, maybe not. But it, you're on to you're on to something. I wonder if he just likes the broadcasting. He's in the booth, or I wonder if he's just a shark swimming around waiting to see if uh, David Ross's job becomes available. Remember, Joe Girardi did apply for this same job and met with Jed and Thea when David Ross was chosen as the head coach to follow Joe Madden. But all right, let's not skip. O- let's not skip over that. Let, let's 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 talk about. It. Let's unpack this, if you will, for a second. Do you think that if you took Joe Girardi and you put him in David Ross's seat, and you took David Ross out of the Cubs' clubhouse and dugout, what do you think happens? I mean, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be that big of a difference. We talked about it on the last episode. Joe Madden was struggling with the Angels last season. They fire him. Phil Nevin comes in. Now, Joe Girardi has a better resume, clearly, but he was with those Yankee teams that were phenomenal. I I, I wanted Joe Girardi. I wanted Joe Girardi to be the Cubs manager in 2007 when they hired Lou Pinella. Uh, and then he went to the Yankees and found a lot of success. I think that sometimes time passes you by, and I don't know if Joe Girardi would be uh, the kind of manager that would work well with uh, today's modern-day ball player. 
I might be wrong. I just, I, I'm not a, I'm not just because Joe Girardi went to Northwestern and played for the Cubs. I don't think that automatically qualifies him to be a great manager. No, that's I'm with you. I, that's not the solution. I like Joe in the booth. I've enjoyed listening to him on marquee, but uh, I don't think the answer to the Cubs problems is taking David Ross out and putting Joe Girardi in. Right. Don't, don't think so at all. Uh, the other thing that people are making a big deal about, and I, and I got I got you know, I, I love Cub fans, but sometimes I got to just slap my head. So <laughs> Mar- Marquis was kind of doing this cutesy thing before the game where they show uh, Seiya Suzuki trying to recruit Shohei Otani. Suzuki's mimicking a fishing motion, trying to catch uh, Shohei, and, and he's pointing to his hat saying, you know, you got to come to the Cubs. You know, absolutely hilarious. Good stuff. I love Shale. Uh, I, I love Suzuki. I think he's a funny guy. I wish he would hit more home runs. But, uh, you know, you sit there and you take a look at this, Dustin. And, and you've talked about this. I know. I know you guys have talked about it on the Mully and Haw show in the morning. But there's, there, there, you know, you're, you're looking at $500 million minimum. That's, that's, that's the start, in my opinion. That's the floor for this guy. He is clearly the best free agent on the market by far. He is clearly one of the best players in baseball. You've heard the Babe Ruth comps and you got to understand between his ability to hit the ball. And we saw it this series, his ability to pitch, which thank God we didn't have to see. This guy is a unicorn. That being said, since he's gotten into MLB, he's been stuck on a crappy angels team and he hasn't had the opportunity to play in the brightest lights uh, of MLB postseason baseball. So why, why do you, does anybody think he wants to come to the Cubs when you see the mess that they are? Do you think Saya alone makes this team, does this change the equation, I guess, of what this team is? Well, if you still had Cody Bellinger and if you had Shohei Otani batting second or third, I don't know. Did you catch that, uh, Crawley, the piece that Marquis did about putting, Shohei Otani in this lineup and how that might change things up a little bit after Shohei was in town playing the White Sox and then the Cubs getting to play him I am coming more to the side of backing up the truck and paying the guy because David Sampson had a good point on the Mully and Haw show he the former uh, president of the uh, Marlins a middle of the order hitter is 30 million a year the ace of a pitching staff, the second guy on a pitching staff, is 25 to 30 a year. That's what you're going to get for Shohei Otani for at least five years. I don't think Shohei is going to be able to be an elite pitcher and an elite hitter combined for a decade. But as you know, and everybody listening to this podcast knows, you have to pay in the future, and you may not get what you want. But I do think in this crap-ass division, I think you put Seiya Suzuki, you put Oh, Shohei Otani in this lineup, in that starting rotation, in this division, and you can win the division. Right, but the way I look at it is everybody is going to be backing up the truck to try to get Shohei Otani. The Cubs are not the only one, so Shohei's going to. I guess it's how far are you willing to go, right? If you if you say five hundred is the floor, okay. If you say five hundred is the floor, what's the ceiling? Don't know. And that's the thing, though, is if you're Shohei, o- <laughs> if you're Shohei Otani and you have your choice of teams and let's say, uh, you know, an, another team that maybe is in better position than the Cubs as far as current roster construction, 
offers him similar or slightly less. Is Shohei the kind of guy that is going to want to try to win a championship? I, I, obviously, you and I, you know, we don't get to watch a ton of Angels baseball. This has been a pain in the ass all week with this West Coast games. But watching him in the World Baseball Classic, right away to myself, I said, this is a guy that wants to win. That means everything to him. And, and so, Dustin, when you talk about it, what's the difference between $700 million and $650 million? Like, you know, are you one less yacht? I don't know. I think more than anything, this guy wants to go on a winner. He wants to be on a competitive team that is competing for not a di- the, the division title in the crappiest division, but a championship. Right, that's and that's, I, think that's I, I agree with you, and I think that's part of many problems, but that's part of the problem that the Cubs laid such an egg, right, against the Angels that wasn't really even competitive. No. And, and so th- there, there was nothing that's going to entice him to come. I agree that he wants to win. Now, I will tip of the cap to say a Suzuki, I appreciate the fact that he's doing what he should be doing and, and trying to recruit his fellow countrymen uh, to the middle of the, the middle of the United States. Uh, to the most beautiful place on earth, but uh, we're going to have to wait and see. And two words for you, Dustin, Steve Cohen. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, but, look is- at, but look at Crowley, to your point, okay? I, I, I know we got more to cover, but to your point, Steve Cohen has spent how much money? I don't think he's going to stop. But but how much has he spent? Uh, he spent a boatload and the Mets are And, and they're terrible. And yep. they're terrible. No doubt, they're they're they they're blowing they're blowing leads. I mean, at least I mean, it, it, at least they can score, I guess. I mean, but they're they're blowing multi-run leads night in and night out. Right, and they lost obviously their closer, and that didn't help. But no doubt about it, and, and we'll see what happens. I'm just saying, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to have the checkbook open. No, no doubt about that. All right, let's talk about the roster. Let's talk about some injury report, and then I will tell you what I would do to, I think, uh, help this roster, especially this weekend. Well, I know everyone's sad. Edwin Rios went on the IL with a groin injury. Um, I don't know if any Cub fan could pick him out of a lineup right now. Michael Rucker was called back up. Justin Steele had a touch and field session the other day. What does that mean, by the way? What what is that? Touch and feel session? I mean, that sounds like something like – you know, Roosevelt road in a, in a strip mall, a touch and feel session. I have no idea. I, my guess is just, I've kinda, never seen that. I'm like, what exactly is a touch and feel session? My guess is he picked up a baseball, threw it around for a little bit. I don't know why they wouldn't just say he played catch from 15 feet. He plans to play catch. What is this? I mean, I almost feel goofy <laughs> in, in a week or so asking Tommy, how to be Tommy, could you please explain touch and feel session to us? I think you should. I think it's a good question. David Ross said he's on track to start on June 17th. That would be against Baltimore. So let's wait and see. We got updates on Cody Bellinger and Brad Boxberger. They're on the way to Arizona. The Arizona Complex League has started. And uh, that's a place where, you know, a lot of, they have two different Cubs teams, the red and the blue, and they play games against each other in Sloan Park. And so uh, that'll end up being where they'll probably start off and then they'll get a minor minor league rehab assignment, whether it's Iowa or somewhere else is yet to be seen. All right. Well, I'm hoping at about three o'clock our time, maybe four o'clock, we'll have like a Taylor McGregor or Bruce Levine tweet that the, uh, the Cubs are sending miles master Boney down to triple a 
And in a corresponding move, they are bringing Nick Madrigal up from the minors. And then I am hoping to see a lineup that has Patrick Wisdom playing first base and Christopher Morell playing third base. And then the first time they need a bat off the bench with maybe runners in scoring position, they let Nick Madrigal bat. The guy at least will put the bat on the ball. Our friend I'm not Tommy saying Bur- that solves all the problems, but it's got to be better than what's going on right now. Our friend Tommy Birch, he's been on the podcast. He covers um, the Iowa Cubs for the Des Moines Register. Had an interesting article about it the other day. Uh, and, and the Cubs are like, oh, we found something in his swing. And Magical said, no, it's just consistent playing time. And this is the problem that you end up having with Morrell, with Mervis, with uh, wisdom with whoever is, is, is you have. And when this is when you're talking about the ingredients, it just doesn't seem like it's fitting right. And guys are just not having opportunities to get into any kind of rhythm. So I don't know if you have Nick magical and you just have him come off the bench, if that's going to do it. Um, I but would it couldn't say, hurt, right? It couldn't hurt. Well, no, you can keep doing this. And, and that's the thing is you sit there and you send these guys down and then they go down and they hit 400 in Iowa, which I think Magical is doing right now. And then you bring them up and then, you know, I mean, it's, it's the same story. Well, what so. about sending, what about sending Mervis down so he could feel good about himself for a little bit? I think the biggest, I think the, the, what you need to do more is, is especially 10 games out. And if you're at the point where this team is no longer really competitive is you have to see with what you have with Matt Mervis. We know what Matt Mervis can do against AAA pitching. He's got to figure it out at the big league and you have to make that determination right here. And now if Matt Mervis is your future. Yeah. All right, cry. Let's not spend a whole bunch of time. We know where the standing stand. They stink. Um, <laughs> David Ross used the word suck two times in one answer, I believe, after Tuesday's game. So just real quick, Cubs are in fourth place. They're 26 and 36, four and six in the last 10, four-game losing streak, and somehow, some way, they're still ahead of the St. Louis Cardinals. Beautiful. I love it. Well, like you said, you know, the Cubs are going to have to do something here against the Giants to finish this up. Last season, the Giants finished 81 and 81, 500 exactly. They finished third in the NL West behind the Dodgers and the Padres. They played the Cubs seven times last season, taking five out of the seven games. The Cubs took one in San Francisco and one in Wrigley. The Giants were looking to make a huge splash in the offseason, but they just missed out on Aaron Judge. You remember how close that was? And then they were the first team to win the Carlos Correa lottery until that deal fell apart and all the chaos happened. Offseason, they made a lot of moves, but I don't know if there's anything that really kind of stuck out. They, they got uh, a couple pitchers, Michael Conforto, Jack Peterson re-signed. Uh, they got a lot of pitching, but, you know, nothing big. They had a lot of losses. Carlos Rodon, who went to New York and is back to being injured again, which is what we talked about, why we didn't want him, Dustin. Uh, Brandon no, Bell. thank you. Evan Longoria, they lost. Uh, Harleen Garcia. Give me Shelby Eva Miller. Longoria. You, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then infielder Tommy Lastella. I, I don't know if Tommy caught on with anyone yet, but uh, he was gone Tommy. as well. Yep. Yeah, so, Tommy. I do like the pitching probables that we have, again, subject to change, but I feel much better about this series than I do the Angels. But like you said, the Cubs didn't lose the last series because of their pitching. They lost it because they couldn't hit worth a damn. Right. If they can't figure out to, you know, and even though two is a crooked number, it's still too little. Like they need like, I think four or five needs to be the key. 
the key number. Let, let's score four or five runs tonight with Marcus Stroman on the hill, and I feel a whole lot better that we could fly the W once again. Well, you know, and it's interesting. I was listening to the broadcast last night, and Boog and, and Doug Glanville, who's doing a great job um, as, as his partner, were talking about it, is that the Cubs are having very patient at-bats, right? And that usually you think about as a good thing, but sometimes they're getting too patient. They're getting a lot of two-strike counts, and then they're getting wiped out. Now the league is just do you know when you have two strikes you run into a lot of trouble you so if you saw Saya the other day who had a really good game last night he was being really aggressive going after first pitches I think the Cubs have gotten so predictable in just taking pitches and then they end up getting upset when all of a sudden a call doesn't go their way but they keep ending up in these two strike counts I'd like to see him start to try to look a little bit more aggressive in the strike zone. Yep, I, I would totally agree with that. All right, so the probables, Crawley, we got Marcus Stroman tonight, so that's good news. Yep, Marcus Stroman, 6-4, 239 ERA, facing off against Anthony DeSclafani, 4-5, 397. We all know what the Stroh Show has been doing, which has been impressive in his last three starts against San Diego, Tampa Bay, and the Mets. All really good teams. He's given up a total of two runs in, a, in 23 innings. So that will definitely play. That's where we laugh and say maybe one run will actually win a game when Marcus Stroman is on the, on the mound. But you just, you know, again, we don't want to put that kind of pressure on Stro. Just give it. You got good run support last game. He was out. I'm hoping that the Cubs are able to do that again against the Giants. But, you know, who knows? Now, as far as De Sclafani, De Sclafani has been around, gosh, a long time. And he's, uh, you know, He's 33 years old. He's got a, a lot of righties coming up in this. So you sh we should be seeing a lot of Matt Mervis. He struggled the last time out against Baltimore, only went three innings and gave up five runs. Against Pittsburgh, he did a lot better, went seven innings, gave up three runs. And against Minnesota, he went five innings and gave up four runs. So he's definitely a guy that you can score some runs off of, but I just don't know with this Cubs offense. Now, never no, and then we've got uh, Kyle Hendricks, right? He's been he's he's coming around, right? I, I really liked his last outing. Yeah, you know, you, you sometimes that last outing he had, it was we didn't have a chance to talk about it because of the night game going into a night game and all this other stuff. He got uh, David Ross got thrown out. Phil Cuzzy had an awful strike zone, and the right. Cubs made some mistakes. But he went six innings, gave up six hits, four earned runs. But it was just, like I said, I don't like to blame umpires, but it really Awful. affected the out outcome of this game. And then before that against Tampa, he had a good game. Five innings, he gave up one run. So he's, he's slowly working his way back into play and shape. So I think that um, I look forward to see what he does every, every outing. I mean, we're just kind of watching and seeing like, okay, next step, where are we at? And then for the Giants, we have Jacob Junis. When we look at his last three outings against Baltimore, he only yep. went three One innings. One step at a time, Crowley. <laughs> when, you know, so with, with Junis, it's kind of interesting looking at the way that he is kind of coming out. He hasn't been a starter. So he has been coming out of the pen. So I don't know if they're going with some sort of opening strategy. He has zero starts this season. So don't know if that's the plan, but we'll see. So, not, you know, he's got a three and two record with a 386 ERA in 16 games. He's only thrown 32 innings. So, 
should be interesting. Hopefully the Cubs can do something there, but I never, I hate the opener strategy. I feel like that's like always a struggle for teams when you have to, if it's a bullpen game, but we'll see what happens here. And, and then, then game fun. number three, Hayden Wisniewski, right? Yeah, and, and and we talked about last game. I think he looked really, really good. He's had two games since he came back. Um, he he was he, he came out of the pen when Steele w- was pulled from the game and went three point two innings and only gave up one run. And then against the Angels, four point two innings, he gave up two earned runs. But I thought that his stuff is looking much better than it did when he was previously up in Chicago. I don't know what they fixed, but. Again, hoping hoping that he continues to take that next step forward. For the Angels, this has been kind of disappointing. This was a guy that they expected a lot out of Sean Manaya, and it just really uh, has not worked out. Two and three with a six ten ERA. But here's the thing about Manaya is that he got off to a god awful start, just absolutely horrible. And he's been looking better as of late. So when you look at the ERA, you're kind of saying to yourself. Okay, maybe, you know, whatever. But this is another guy that just really hasn't started many games for them. He's he's started, I'm looking at this right here, he started six games so far this season. So doesn't have a lot of starts out of, out of his belt. He's, he's pitched a lot of games and he's kind of worked uh, a lot of relief, but he's just not been very good. So against Colorado on 6-6, he did okay. He didn't start the game. He went 4.2 innings pitch, gave up five hits and four runs. So I think that with this series so far, I think the pitching lines up better for the Cubs. I just don't know what to expect out of the hitting. Right, and that takes us into who's hot and who's not. We, we know who's not. We know who's not <laughs> hot. Okay, we, we, that, that, we have, that we have covered, Crowley. You, were you able to come up with somebody that was actually hot? How about Miguel Amaya? He, in his last 15 at-bats, he has five hits, a home run, and three RBI. So that's a 333, 474, and a uh, 533 slug. So I like to see the kid have, you know, more at-bats. Uh, other than that, the only other guy that's barely above the Mendoza line is Jan Gomes in the last seven games. And he's batting 286 and slugging 571 with a home run and an RBI. So basically you have two catchers and then everybody else is 222 or below. All right, let's go to the uh, Giants who we're facing. Who do we need to be paying attention to? Who's hot out in San Francisco? Who is hot out in San Francisco? You got a couple guys. Uh, Austin Slater plays center field. He has only had 12 at-bats, but he has five hits, which is good for a 417, 417, 417 slash line. You don't see that too often where your slash line's all the way across. Lamont Wade is a first baseman for the Giants. He's seven for his last 18 with three RBIs, 289, 520, and 586. For the not, old friend Jock Peterson, two for his last 11, slashing 182, 357, slugging 182, so not a lot of power there. And they have a left fielder, Mitch Herringer, who is two for his last 18 with no home runs, one RBI, slash 111, 273, 167. All right, Crowley, prediction time. Uh, you just said you liked how the uh, pitching lined up, but of course we have no idea what to expect from the offense. So what do you think is going to happen over the next three days in San Francisco for the Cubs? 
I'm I, I'm going to go out on a limb here. <laughs> I, I'm going out the on sigh, a limb. Here. Crawley, you're killing me with the sigh. I, I'm going with the because, like I said, I like this the pitching matchups. I think they favor the Cubs, but it's like again, you put all the pressure on the pitchers and the bullpen when you can't score more than one or two runs. So I, I, I I'm going to go with the Cubs. Taking two out of three, I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble a little bit here. I don't feel very comfortable with it, but I think I'm hoping for a good end to the road trip. I love Stroman on the mound against Disclafani, and then with Hendricks and Wesniski, I think, uh, I, I, like I said, I, Sean Manea has been hot garbage, I, and then Hayden has looked better. So I, I like I feel like you have two chances to win a game, games two or three, based on the pitching matchups. I hate to say this, I said it a lot last summer, Crawley. I'm gonna say it again. Just don't get swept. Just don't get swept. That would be a really, really, really bad way to limp your way home to Wrigley Field. Please don't get swept. Fingers That's crossed, a wrap. Man. That's a wrap, Crowley. Don't forget to listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow the socials, Fly the W on Facebook. Also do it on Instagram. And you can email us at flythew670, gmail.com. And as Crowley mentioned earlier, don't forget you can watch us, YouTube, by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Cub fans, I know it looks dark, but don't give up hope. Maybe the Cubs will surprise you and come back with some wins from San Francisco. Go Cubs! It's all over.